You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. First book of Samuel, chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Oasis. Good to see you guys. Um, Welcome to everybody who is on the live stream. And for those of our family who are over in Israel, we are excited for you all to return. We can't wait to see and hear the stories of what you learned and what you experienced over there. Um, I wanted to be one of the first to say uh, happy Latter-day Sunday to you all. Um, Anyone know what Latter-day Sunday is? No? Okay, neither did I, so I learned it. So this is actually um, in the lectionary uh, calendar on year A, which is the cycle that we're in right now. The fourth Sunday of Lent is the Latter-day Sunday, which is Rejoice Sunday. So we can rejoice for many things today, Um, but if I'm being honest, when I first read that and first looked at that, it felt a little odd, you know? Lent typically is not something that I would say is a way of rejoicing. You know, I selfishly don't like the idea of rejoicing about voluntarily going without something that I enjoy or voluntarily lacking something for a good period of time. Um, And, you know, traditionally that is what Lent is. You know, we give up something or we go without something that uh, we really do love. That could be TV, could be sugar, uh, social media, 
uh, fast food, video games, the, the list can go on and on and on. But we'll go through that time, and you know, Lent is beautiful for a lot of reasons with it, because that practice is counter to society and counter to you know, how we are marketed on a daily basis, that we should have what we want when we want it, and then we should have it now. You know, we have phones that get us what we want right away. We have the ability to get these different things and get these different dopamine hits when we need them. And so Lent is a practice against that. You know, and maybe for you, that's not what you did this Lent. There's also the idea of taking something up during Lent, where instead of letting something go, you take up a practice. So that could be one of the spiritual disciplines of prayer, and maybe you have a more guided time of prayer, or you're following a specific devotional plan during this time, or you're practicing Sabbath, or going for silence um, for a period of time every day, or fasting for a day. No matter what we're doing, we are being changed throughout Lent in this time. And that is something we can rejoice about. You know, we are being changed, uh, you know, looking at it in the scientific term. If you've ever looked at habits or heard a talk on habits, the idea that a new habit is formed after about 21 days. So we've already done that. So props to everybody. You know, we already have a new habit or we broke an old habit. So that's good. But, you know, looking at it spiritually, now we've taken up something and we are, have begun to be changed over these past four weeks. You know, our outlook on the world has changed. Uh, this is, that is a reason to rejoice. The past four weeks we, were different than when we started this on Ash Wednesday. And we're going to be different in the next three. We're going to see things differently. We're going to understand things maybe differently in this time. And so today we're going to be reading and looking at the passage uh, that Justin just had us read um, in 1 Samuel 16. And this is a story that we've heard many, many times, most likely. I can think of, you know, growing up hearing this story, I can think of the activities and the skits and all the different, you know, even the cartoons, uh, the different audiobooks, all these different things that I had to hear this story and the stories that were to come of David. Uh, and something about me, uh, I love to rewatch and reread stories. I can probably quote to you many audiobooks that I own in the exact tone, exact, like everything of that, because I've listened to them so many times. There are some movies and TV shows that I can probably treat as audiobooks because I've watched it so many times that the audio of the TV show, I can, all I have to do is hear it and I can see what's happening. So I, I love to reread. I love to re-experience a story again and again and again. Because every time we do that, we learn something new, something new sticks out. Maybe we, a new character is our favorite that wasn't the first couple times we watched it. Or we understand the motivations of a character, or we understand the foreshadowing now of what is to come and we see it in a new way that the author didn't necessarily always have it. And so for this morning, for these next few minutes, uh, I invite you all to kind of take up that posture with this story that may be very common to some of us. The idea of let's see what may be new here. Let's see what the Lord has uh, for us today. And it's interesting with this because we, when I think of this story, you know, I think of the anointing of David. But in these 13 verses, David's present for two, two of them. This is the beginning of the story. This is the origin story of David. But David is not very present in this story. Uh, this is a story of Samuel. This is a story of Samuel seeing things 
in a new way and understanding things in a new way. And I think it's important uh, to understand where Samuel was prior to this moment, just so we can understand some of the context. So Samuel, you know, throughout the book has uh, anointed Saul. Saul is the first king of Israel. And so they've been going through these different moments. There's different battles, different things that are happening. And right before this, Saul is asked to wipe out the Amalekites. And so Saul goes and does that, except he does not follow that command. He decides to keep the best sheep, the best cattle, uh, the best goats, and keep the king alive. So he disobeys God, and uh, God then tells Samuel, I have rejected Saul as king. And it says in that moment that Samuel spent the entire night crying out to the Lord. And I think that has a lot to do with probably the fact, for a few things, Samuel is sad because now Israel is going to be without a king. He is sad for that moment. He is sad for what this means for Saul and how this is going to affect Saul's leadership. And I'd also like to think that this is, there is sadness and there's this crying out because Saul and Samuel are friends. And Samuel now knows what this is going to mean for their friendship. So then Samuel goes and tells Saul that you have been rejected by the Lord. And they have this kind of back and forth going. And eventually Samuel, Saul asks Samuel to stay and worship with him in that moment after there's a sacrifice of all the animals that Saul had kept from the Amalekites. And so Samuel stays, and right after, Samuel has King Agag, who's the king of the Amalekites, brought to him, and Samuel actually is the one who ends up killing the king in this moment. And it says right after that, Samuel leaves and goes back to Ramah, and Saul leaves to go back to his house. And then there's just one line that says, Samuel will never see, never, never see Saul again, but he mourns for him for the rest of his life. So that is the context of what happens right here. That is the verse before verse, verse 1 in chapter 16. So we come in, and you know the, we just heard from Justin, the Lord says, it's time to stop mourning. It's time to go. I have a new king. And this sparks a story that is rich of moments where God is providing new vision and new understanding of something that Samuel already understands or already has seen before. It's also a story of dangerous new, newness because the king isn't dead and now Samuel has to go and find a new king. Samuel has to go on a journey. And so there's this danger aspect that we can see in Samuel's uh, response to the Lord as well. And so we, we get there, we get Samuel to Bethlehem and this is kind of the first moment where I see there is a newness, a new ability to see something you know, Samuel is met by the elders, and the elders are trembling when they meet him at the gate. Now, we could look at this in a few different aspects. You know, Samuel is part of Saul's entourage, part of the high court. And so for a small village of Bethlehem, that could be a little terrifying to have, you know, someone from the king's court showing up out of the blue. So that's a little terrifying. Maybe they just heard that Samuel killed the king. And we don't know the specifics on that, but, you know, that's also terrifying in that sense of, oh, there's a king killer now, you know, to use the term that we've heard a lot in different stories now. But the, the king killer is here now. And so we ha there is this that people are seeing, and so they're scared, and so they ask him, are you peaceably here? And he says, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm here to sacrifice. And I think it's beautiful in this moment because the Lord provides Samuel an opportunity to do what he was originally called to do. Samuel gets to lead the people in sacrifice, lead people to that moment of coming back to the Lord. And he gets to bring peace, because obviously the elders did not have peace in that moment when he walked up to the gate. 
But then he does get to do that. He gets to bring peace, which is just a beautiful thing in that, you know. And so then, you know, Samuel has the mission of finding a new king. So now we go here and we get to meet just a few of the brothers, not all seven. You know, it wasn't worth having all seven named, but we get to have a few of them named at least. And it almost feels like Samuel might fall into the same trap a little bit or looking for the same template as Saul. You know, looking to see what looks like a king. You know, broad shoulders, strong, you know, maybe a chiseled jaw, who knows. But we have that. He's looking for somebody. He's looking for somebody, and he's probably using Saul as the template for that. And then we get the beautiful line, you know, do not consider his appearance of his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I love this verse, and hopefully this verse is kind of a moment of pause and even of peace for us now, you know, because what we're doing, what we go through throughout the week, you know, the Lord still sees us who we truly are. The Lord doesn't forget those who we are. The Lord doesn't miss anything. The Lord sees you. And so it's a moment where now Samuel gets to see and get a glimpse of how the Lord is seeing different people. You know? And when, I, when you look at this, my first question to myself is, do I invite the Lord into each encounter? You know, do I invite the Lord the way that Samuel was inviting the Lord every time he looked at one of the brothers? Because if we can do that, then maybe we get a chance and we will get the chance to see people instances, circumstances, as the Lord sees. Tertullian um, says it another way. Uh, He says, you are human, and so you know other people only from the outside. You think as you see, and you see only what your eyes let you see. But the eyes of the Lord are lofty. Man looks on the outward appearance, and God looks at the heart. Now, there's a, there's a line in the middle of that. He says, you see only what your eyes let you see. You know, we, we don't have the ability to see everything the way that the Lord sees, and that's the beauty of needing the Lord. That's the beauty of this time of getting to see things and maybe go without something for a little bit in Lent because we're getting to be rewired. We're getting to see things in a new way. Um, and an interesting fact about myself that... Um, I'm being okay letting more and more people know, is I love uh, animals, and I love animal facts. Um, I grew up watching um, Steve Irwin. Uh, the day that he passed was a very, very sad day. Um, I watched all the different Animal Planet you know, uh, series that you possibly could, because it was just so fascinating to me. And to this day, I will still watch the National Geographic moments on you know, all the different streaming services, and it's just fascinating to me learning about the animal world, how it works, how they are created, the different politics that go in to the animal world. Uh, If you are ever so bored and you really want a fun story, I'd love to tell you the story of the politics of the birds that are in my backyard because it keeps my day interesting seeing the politics that go on with the birds in the backyard because there is just so much going on. Um, But in the animal kingdom, a question that I never thought I needed to ask, but I learned the other week was how can an apex predator like the tiger hunt in the forest? Has anyone else thought about that or is that just, you know, me being a little animal nerd and not really thinking on it? So 
I, I learned the reason is, is you know, the prey that tigers uh, tend to go after, which are boars, deer, um, and then you know, other small mammals, um, they have eyes such as, that are called, and I apologize if I say this wrong, dichromats, which means they only have two color receptors. And funny enough, reds and oranges look like green because they're missing that color receptor. So when you, if you had eyes like them, you would see a tiger as green. So now in the forest, they are perfectly camouflaged. And they really are that camouflaged hunter that for us, it's like, oh no, there's the tiger right there. You know? So for those animals, they can only see what their eyes let them see. They can't see the tiger that's right there. And I understand that that is an idea of prey and hunter, and that's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying here is the idea of what are we missing that we're constantly looking at? What are the moments where we can invite the Lord in that we can see things that our eyes don't normally let us see? Which brings us kind of to the final moment uh, in this story where Samuel is able to see things in a new way. Uh, it, towards the end, you know, he asks Jesse, where are, are these all your sons? And, just, and Jesse says, no, there's the youngest still out. Uh, he's tending the sheep. And for me, I, again, I love stories. I re-listen and watch stories probably more than I experience new stories. It actually kind of makes me nervous sometimes finding a new story because what if I don't love it as much as the old ones? But the stories that I love the most are the coming-of-age stories and the stories where the main character is living in obscurity or the main character is just that normal person that's just sitting there waiting. And then that one miraculous moment, transformational moment happens. I'm sure you can think of many, many stories. I don't need to go down a list. But there are many stories within our culture now where those kind of hook on to our culture. And this, this is that moment for David. This is that moment of transformation and of miraculousness. And so Samuel asks Jesse to bring David in. We're not going to sit down for the meal until he is here. And for me, I'm standing right now, but the idea, I don't know how long that took. I imagine he was out there pretty far with the sheep, and that's standing for a long time. So I'm also like, come on, David, let's get here soon. Let's get here soon. Um, but he does, and then, you know, right away, the Lord says to Samuel, this is the one, stand up and anoint him. And I understand a little bit the idea of David being out in the field, but also, like, inside me, it's, I'm screaming, why did you leave David out of this? Like, this is an important moment. Samuel, the high priest, you know, the, the man of the court of Saul is here, but you, you didn't bring your final son? Why? Why would that not happen? And thinking about it outside of that, but looking at it in the context, you know, sheep were important to Jesse's family. They were food, clothing, financial property, the ability to buy and sell other goods. And so it was an important responsibility to be entrusted with. And so the fact that the youngest son was entrusted, that shows us the character of David that we get to learn about down the line that he was trustworthy. We know from his own mouth later on, he talks about how he fights the lions and the bears and runs after the sheep to make sure they're here. So David was a trustworthy, and he was probably mature for a youngest son in that way too. But nonetheless, he was left out of the moment 
originally and then brought in. And so Samuel, in front of everyone, in front of the family, or at least in front of the brothers, anoints David as king. And now we're in that dangerous newness. And we know how the story goes on of now there's two kings, really. You know, one anointed and one crowned. And Samuel has to walk that line a little bit. But the boy who was tending sheep, not even invited to the moment, who for many times when I've heard this story was forgotten about and left out, is now the king. And so just, just a couple of questions as we look into this, and you know, we're kind of bringing this into our own lives. You know, The first question is, what in these past four weeks of Lent are you beginning to see differently? Are you beginning to see maybe your job differently? Maybe a friend? Maybe a family member? Is God teaching you something new about God's character that maybe you didn't have before the four weeks started? And then something, and this is you know, a promise that I have to hold on to a lot, is you are seen, we are seen. You know, in the mundane, in the boring, in the smelly fields of just following sheep and making sure the sheep go from point A to point B. We are remembered and we are seen. God sees us. We are not left out of anything. The inner parts of us, those things that maybe we don't share with other people, God sees. God knows. The things we wish people would see about us, God sees. And God may be preparing something for you in this moment. Back to the habits. What is being formed in you? What is changing? You know, what are you beginning to see differently? I'm going to ask Sarah to come back up, um, and we're going to have a practice of rehearing a story or rehearing uh, the Psalm 23 from earlier, uh, rewritten by uh, Peter Santucci. Psalms 23. Yahweh is my shepherd. I'm completely content. He lets me nap on lush green grass. He takes me to calm, cool pools of water. How refreshing. The trails he leads me down are good and healthy and full of life, just like he is. Even when he leads me into the dark valleys where death hangs over me, I'm still not afraid because you're right there with me protecting me with your rod, guiding me with your staff. You set me at ease. You lay out a feast in front of me. Even though haters surround me, you tend my wounds. I have everything I need. I don't need to search for love, for the good life, because your love and goodness chase me. Your house will be my home forever. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, And may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.